And you might say, well, I don't have any elements or anything. During COVID, I saw a lot of pastors from their living rooms celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it's a good time to remember that the elements of the Lord's Supper are symbolic. The bread is symbolic of the body of Christ. The juice is symbolic of the blood of Christ. And so there in your home, if you want to take a little piece of bread or a little piece of cracker, uh, or if you, you know, or some water or whatever, uh, as we share this together and we guide through every step of the process, uh, we'd love to have you celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. And thank you. So many, many do worship with us by way of radio. As an introduction to the message, a precious experience came to my mind uh, and, and it came evolving out of the beautiful song, Come to the Table, Come to the Table, inviting people to come and celebrate the Lord's Supper. I am you know, privileged to be a part of a lot of celebrations, a lot of functions, uh, and, and a lot of good food, just let me go on and say that, and big crowds. And I usually just visit around while the line begins to work its way down. And, uh, you know, in, in a recent event like that, uh, I got my plate. There was a very nice crowd there, and I began to walk around to see where I was going to sit. And just about all the places were taken, and, and I hated to, you know, barge in on a family group or what, whatever. And so while I was just kind of casually looking for a place to seat, uh, I heard this voice that said, Brother Bill, come sit with us. And so I turned around and I'm very, very pleased and touched in my heart that it was a group of young adults from our church. Brother Bill, come sit with us. And I looked around and every chair was taken. And I said, your table is full. And that person then said, we'll pull up a chair. And one of the guys got up and got a chair and pulled it up and I sat down with them, crowded in and enjoyed it. Well, this is the Lord's Supper and this is the Lord's table. And I want to invite you, come sit with us and we'll pull up a chair. We'll pull up a chair for you. You might say, I'm not worthy, I don't know what it's all about, but I do pray that by the end of a very short devotion that you will uh, feel better about that. And that is, and, and this here got to be longer than it needs to be, so I'm going to be kind of, uh, you know, cutting it down some. But that is, uh, it just crossed my mind because we don't have very many actually identified by name of the disciples that are there. But if you survey the Gospels, you will begin to identify the people that are there and a identification of the 12 that are there at the celebration of the Passover and the Lord's Supper. And I'm gonna tell you, once you get to know those guys, you're gonna to come to the table because they were just poor, weak, fallible people like us. So who was at the table? I began with possibly the most uh, you know, beloved of them all, and that, is, uh, and that is the Apostle John. And I'm using their apostle designations now because these, all of them but one, saw and was with the resurrected Lord. The Apostle John. And to give you an indication as to what John was like 
before Jesus and in his early experience with Jesus, John is one of those, he and his brother James, that Jesus gave them the name Son of Bonarges, which means Son of Thunder. They were hot-blooded, quick-tempered individual. Now, don't look around. Anybody here like that? Come sit with us, amen? Come sit with us. John and James, when they left a village that was not very kind to them, they said, let's call fire down on them. And Jesus let them know, you know, that's not the way that we are going to respond. And around that time in Mark chapter 3, verse 17, he then began to uh, tell them, uh, uh, you know, begin to name them the sons of thunder. We also see that they had and I don't know how to state this. I'm, this is the way I'm going to state it, that they had a pushy, ambitious parent. Now, I'm not going to tell you it was their mother. It was just a pushy, ambitious parent, okay? She went to Jesus and said, Jesus, uh, when you come into your kingdom, can one of my boys sit on your left hand and one of my boys sit on your right hand? And Jesus said, well, can they drink the cup that I'm going to drink, which was that cup of suffering? But then in John chapter 13 and verse 20, which is John's account of the Lord's Supper, we see this John, this son of thunder, this individual of ambition. He is now sitting next to Jesus, leaning on his shoulder, and his nickname now is the Beloved. John the Beloved. John is leaning on Jesus. Jesus has just mentioned to them that one of the group is going to betray him. I don't know exactly, I think in uh, Leonardo da Vinci's Lord's Supper painting, the Last Supper painting, he kind of has an idea, or, or we would, but Peter that you would think would be, you know, the one right there, Peter's down the table somewhere, and he whispers to John, read this in John 13 verse 20, he whispers to John, ask him who it is. Ask Jesus who is going to betray him. And so John asked Jesus, and Jesus simply said, the one that I dip bread and hand to will be the one, and that was Judas Iscariot. I had to do a study in getting ready for today about why out of 12, is John identified as the one Jesus loved. He loved them all. And when you look at the last chapter of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, where there, it's after the resurrection, uh, Jesus has restored Peter, and it indicates here uh, that John, the ba John is there, not the Baptist, I'm sorry. Chapter 21, verse 20 says, and Peter saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. He is the one that leaned on Jesus at the supper. He is the one that Peter asked, Lord, who is going to betray you? And John asked about it. And so I said, why is he known as the beloved? And one of the suggestions is that the name of John in the literal Greek means of comfort 
and confidence. And that very possibly, out of the disciple band, John matured to the point where Jesus entrusted to him his innermost thoughts. The son of thunder. In the Sunday school class that I just taught this morning, we talked about communication. We talked about the series of acquaintances that we have. And they work in circles here. You know, we have casual acquaintances. Uh, we have kind of close acquaintances. Uh, we have intimate friends. It's very interesting to notice that with Jesus, he had 12 disciples, but he had three that he took with him everywhere, Peter, James, and John. And it's obvious that one had truly won his heart and was dear to him. And so you say, what is the purpose of this? Sitting at that table was a hot-tempered, sitting at that table was an ambitious individual who became, out of his relationship with Jesus, beloved. And so can we. Who's the second person we know that's at that table? That's the Apostle Peter. I have a hard time giving a label to the Apostle Peter. All kinds of labels. Foot in his mouth, loud mouth, opinionated, knee jerk. But I have settled on this one word for Peter, and that is he was a very proud individual. He was a very proud individual, maybe even arrogant, because whatever was going on, he would stand up and he would say, well, that's not me. Lord, I won't deny you. Lord, I'll go and even die with you. In one of the Gospels, Jesus tells him at the Lord's Supper, all of you are going to stumble tonight because of me. Peter says, I'm not going to stumble. It was always this, what I'm going to do, I'm able to do. But I believe that Jesus saw in the Apostle Peter the potential. The potential. Because Peter stands today throughout a big part of Christianity as the head of the church, the first pope. Very much so, he was the head of the church before any church became formulated. Jesus knew, I got a leader here. I've got somebody that I can trust to this organization that I'm leaving here in the world. And Satan knew that. In this Gospel of Luke chapter 22, Jesus looks at Peter and tells him that Simon in verse 31, Satan has asked for you. The devil knew this, this man, the apostle Peter, is going to give me trouble. I, I'm not going to be able to do anything with him. He's strong-willed. He is courageous. He is outspoken. This man has potential. I need to do something with him. And so Satan said, you know, I want Peter that I may sift him like wheat. And Jesus said to the apostle Peter, but I have prayed for you. What happened to Peter? He was humbled by failure. When he denied Jesus, that changed his whole life. I think about a story of a young preacher preaching his first sermon. Now, it wasn't me because I was scared to death. And I got up and I spoke about 10 minutes. My wife told me that she married me for those 10 to 15 minute sermons. 
A few years later, she asked, what happened to those 10 to 15 minute sermons, you know? Well, this fellow walked up in the pulpit and oh man, this was mama's preacher boy. He was proud. It was embarrassing. And he came down, humbled. And an old deacon said to another deacon, oh, that if he'd only gone up the way he came down. Peter was humbled. Peter was humbled and recognized his humanity and the apostle Peter the proud became the one with incredible potential. So when you look at the table, there's the apostle John, a hot-tempered individual, but he's now the beloved. There's the apostle Peter who was a very proud outgoing person now he is the one that Jesus in essence leaves in charge of the whole mission of Christianity but then there's Judas we know he's there I have labeled Judas the zealous he was a member of the sect of the zealot a militant group that wanted to overthrow the Roman government and one of the ideas about Judas in the disciple band was that he kept watching for Jesus to signal a revolution. And Palm Sunday would have been the perfect time with a couple of million people in Jerusalem and the crowds crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But Jesus was riding on a donkey and he didn't start a war. And that week, Judas went to the temple and said, I can give him to you. So what was Judas's problem? He was disappointed in Jesus. John became the beloved. Peter became the potential. Judas became the disappointed. Jesus has let me down. And that is an open door for Satan to enter. And it says in this chapter and the others, Satan entered him. Oh my goodness, if we have ever experienced where we feel that God has let us down, let us know that God was victorious. Judas missed something. And now the last group. The group as a whole, the twelve. I hope you all are, I know you are following this train of thought. And that is, I want you to look at the table. I want you to look at what these people were. I want you to see who they became with Jesus. And so I invite you to come sit with us. We'll pull up a chair for you and Jesus will change your life, friends. But look at the 12 and think about how Jesus felt. The Lord's Supper is coming to an end. They're sitting around talking. Jesus is about to spend the worst night that any person could spend and the worst day that any person could spend. And in chapter 22, verse 24, guess what the 11 now are doing? Judas has left. They are arguing about which one of them is the greatest. You say, you don't belong at this table? I'm telling you, friends. Jesus says, come sit with us. And so they are, I have labeled them the wrong stuff. The wrong stuff. And in fact, in the book of Acts, 
when the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and all looked at those disciples who were boldly preaching and teaching and healing, it said that they took note, these were just unschooled and ordinary people. But they had been with Jesus. And I thought about the movie Armageddon. It's been brought back to us this week that a missile did hit a meteor and hopefully deflected its course. We didn't have Bruce Willis and that bunch to go up there and get on that meteor. But I looked up the line, line, whatever, and once this mission is described to Harry Stamper, Bruce Willis, he looks at mission control and says, you mean to tell me government does not have a backup plan? Go figure. A meteor is headed to earth. They're going to send a bunch of drillers up there to blow it apart. And he says, you mean to tell me the government does not have a backup plan? And he's got his guys with him and he says, you are pinning your hopes on these eight Boy Scouts to save the world. If you looked at that band of 12 back then, you'd say, Jesus, are you pinning the hope of the world on these 12 Boy Scouts or these 11 Boy Scouts? And Jesus would say, you just wait and see. And they turned the world upside down. And so I invite you to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. I invite you to come to the table and we will pull up a chair for you. But I invite you with the words of that beautiful song, and I wish I could sing, Come you sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. Come sit with us. We'll pull up a chair. I want you to pray in your heart with me. Our time is fine. This is a very brief observance like this. And that is, if you've never invited Jesus into your life, that you will do so. And that you will come and sit with us. And we'll pull up a chair for you. Let's pray. If you've never prayed a prayer, and it's a very simple prayer, that Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. In the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 13, the apostle Paul says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you do not know within your heart and you do not feel that you belong at this table, will you simply within your spirit say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, poor and needy, poor and needy. And I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you was raised the third day, that you're coming back again. Will you come into my life and forgive me of my sins? In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. It's not simplistic. And as the television evangelist will say, if you prayed that prayer, we believe you got saved. You prayed it from the heart. So come sit with us. We'll pull up a chair for you.
I invite our chairman of deacons, Dr. Ricky Brantley, and our vice chairman of deacons, Greg Callahan, to come and they will assist in the serving of the Lord's Supper. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, we know that they are celebrating the Passover, never forgetting how that God brought them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and into the Promised Land. That night, Jesus gave it an additional meaning, and that is of God through Christ's death on the cross, delivering us from the bondage of sin. Through the blood of Jesus, he sets us free. And like in Egypt, and I know that you're familiar with things, that like in Egypt, after all the plagues, Pharaoh would not let Jesus' or God's people go. And so the death angel passed through, claiming the life of the firstborn of everything. But there, the worship of a sacrificial lamb began, and the blood of that sacrifice was put on the door houses of the faithful. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When we accept Jesus Christ, his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And when Jesus sees the blood, we are saved to the uttermost. And so that's what we are celebrating today. The Bible tells us that before the meal, Jesus took bread, blessed the bread, broke the bread, and passed it among them and told them, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. Greg Callahan leads us in this prayer, and then in a moment together, we will take the bread. Father God, we just thank you this morning that we're here to celebrate with these elements representing the blood of Jesus and the broken body of Jesus as it hung on the cross. But Father, when we look at that cross now, it's empty. You were victorious over death and sin. And Father, my prayer this morning is for this congregation, this body of Christ, that Father, when we fail you, that you forgive us. Father, when we become weak, that you strengthen us. When we need understanding, Father, I pray that you fill our hearts with your word. Father, when we get bound up in ourselves, I pray that you release us and turn us back toward you. And Father, most of all, I pray that you continue to love us when sometimes we're not very lovable. Father, we thank you this morning that you did it all. A sacrifice that was good forever. Father, we thank you and we understand in the scripture when it describes you to a Christian as our hope of eternal glory. Amen. Amen. We take the bread, and as Jesus said, this is my body, 
which is given for you, take and eat. After the supper, Jesus took a cup and poured it and said to them, This is my blood, which is shed for you. Drink you all of it. They did not understand what was happening, and neither would we. But thank God that down through the ages, we understand. And they did too. And those disciples that I called the wrong stuff a moment ago, they became the right stuff, amen? They became the right stuff in Jesus. And so Jesus, he also prayed as he poured the cup. And Dr. Ricky Brantley, our chairman of deacons, will pray that gratitude for the blood of Jesus. So would you just bow? Uh, Lord Jesus, as, as I stand here this morning, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with your sacrifice, just how you could give your life for a sinner like me. And yet you did it. Uh, and you offered, uh, sal you've offered salvation not only for me, but everyone who proclaims in their heart a belief in you as their Lord and Savior. And Father, how you, you shed that blood that it might cover my sin and the sins of your people. How eternally grateful, Lord, we are. And Lord, as we take this cup, I pray, God, that we might sense once again in our hearts that you are able to save the one who is lost. You're able to rekindle in all of us, Lord, a new way of life with you. Forgive us of our sins in Jesus' name and thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice on the cross to save sinners like us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We take the juice. And as Jesus said, this is my blood which is shed for you. Drink you all of it. The Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen. He's coming back. We sing a hymn of invitation, and I pray that as you've looked at that table 2,000 years ago, you could actually see yourself there, identified with just the pure humanity that was sitting there. But then that you can look at them after his death on the cross and the resurrection and the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. You can see yourself there as the right stuff for Jesus Christ. If you prayed a prayer a moment ago to receive Christ, a prayer like you've never prayed before, this is what we call the hymn of invitation. And you're invited. You're invited to share 
any decision that you make with me personally, quietly, if it is to be made public, we will do so uh, in a way befitting our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The altar is always open for prayer.